If you don't love what you're doing, then why the hell are you doing it? It's a great question posed today by Annie Matthews on today's podcast, and, and we get into everything from her fearlessness, her passion, her gratitude for her line of work. It was an awesome episode. We think you guys are going to love it. Uh, as always, this is Tom Alamo alongside my co-host Ryan Warner from the TR Talk podcast. Uh, one quick shout out we want to give out before we head into the episode is to our commenter of the week from the audience, Christina Stone. Thank you so much for all your shares, your likes, your comments. It's been tremendous to us. We're, we're really grateful for it. We hope that everyone keeps it up. Please feel free to like, share, leave an iTunes review. Uh, we really do appreciate it. So we'll get on to the interview now and hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to a new episode of TR Talk. We are super excited uh, for today's guest. We have Annie Matthews, the Vice President of Sales over at Tech Target. Annie is super high energy, a ton of passion, <laughs> and really just an overall sales badass. And so we could not be more excited to have her on the show today where we think there's going to be some great content. Welcome to the show, Annie. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me, and I, I hope to live up to a little bit of this hype, Tom. <laughs> well, we, um, we're definitely excited to have you, and um, so you know, maybe we can just kick things off and, and you can give a, a brief background of, of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So as Tom mentioned, my name is Annie Matthews. I'm the Vice President of Sales for the Business Application and Analytics team at Tech Target, as well as the Networking and Security team at Tech Target. Uh, I've been at Tech Target for the last 12 years, going on 13, um, and I've basically climbed up the ranks within the organization. Um, I did a two-year stint in San Francisco, um, and then I've been pretty much Boston based uh, since that time um, so I really enjoy managing you know a team that is near and dear to my heart and uh, I absolutely love the sales profession yeah, I have to bring up a story that was legend when I was going through the, the sales training program at, at Tech Target and the story is you know, correct me if I'm wrong but when you were in sales training is it true that you would call the CEO every morning and leave a voicemail at your elevator pitch? Um, with regard to the sales training and kind of my epic fail there, um, I was an eager beaver, as they would say, and I did do things like call our CEO every morning with a value proposition, and I, I really had um, a very strong level of focus and excitement and passion about the job. Um, however, I was a little, sometimes I was a little too overprepared, right? I wanted it to be on paper and a, you know, I wanted to understand the pitch and all the products and I had binders and folders and all of this type of stuff. And the lesson that, you know, sales management at the time was trying to teach was you didn't need all that, Annie. You could just be a person. And so we went, you know, it was my turn to role play for one of the first times that we were doing role plays in this training. And I realized that I didn't have any notes. I had prepped for the half hour before the call or the mock call, and somebody stole my notes. And it was time to go. It was go time. So I got up in front of the room, and we start this mock cell, and I'm laughing, and I'm crying. I am crying, and I am freaking out because I don't know what I'm going to say because I can't read it on a sheet of paper. 
And I, from that point on in sales training, was the underdog. Um, I knew what group I was going to get put in because I knew I was going to have the toughest manager out of all the managers because they definitely didn't think I was going to be able to hack it. And my biggest motivation was my biggest failure at a sales training class, which was to prove everybody wrong. Um, so, you know, you guys talked about, for those that are listening that haven't listened to the other two TR talks, um, you know, they're extremely valuable. And what you guys talk about with both Rich Stone and Thomas Fries is the idea that, you know, you got to make something out of your sales failures. Um, and I mean, that was, that's the epitome of that type of story where I could have, you know, completely curled up in a ball and said, this is just not for me. And I used it as my motivating factor for the rest of my career. And, and one thing that really kind of stands out to me is when you mentioned having a chip on your shoulder and however, I, I think you said you're, you're, what was it, 12 or so years into, mm -hmm. into being at Tech Target. And as someone that, that works with you on a day-to-day -day basis, that, that, that chip on the shoulder and that enthusiasm still shows up every day. So I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to know, um, maybe it's the same thing that drives you, but or maybe it's changed over time, but I'm really curious to hear like, you know, what is getting you up in the morning to, to make you so passionate and, and you know, make you so fearless in, in a given situation? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I would say it's changed, it has changed dramatically over time. Just the role of, you know, the individual contributor role, then some of a team selling environment with um, some of the global accounts that I had managed at a point in time, and then obviously being in a management function. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the thing that gets me the most excited to go to work has always been the people that I work with um, the confidence in the product in which I sell. And then I would say the third thing is the fact that no day ever looks the same. And, you know, there's two pieces of that, right? That with no day ever looking the same, you have the ability to reinvent yourself every single day, challenge yourself in a different way every single day. Um, you're never bored, right? And um, there's always something to learn. And you could probably argue that that's the case in any profession, but, you know, the, the, um, you know, kind of the energy level um, and the pressure, which I personally look at as positive pressure to perform, um, is something that, you know, you just, it, in sales, is something that's just so unique day to day. Um, and then the other piece of that is the fact that by, you know, but by, by no day ever looking the same and, and having the opportunity to reinvent yourself, you also have the ability to build on your talents and your skill set. And there's always another deal to chase. And, you know, there's always a new year where you start fresh at zero and you really got to make it your own. And I just think personally, that's a lot of fun. I mean, certainly I started out really motivated by money. Um, you know, college graduate wants to, you know, get an apartment and get a house and all these kinds of things. Um, but even at the Beyond that, you know, the motivation was, you know, um, you know, self, you know, people recognizing my accomplishments and having that nod internally, and you know, of people thinking that I was doing a good job, and just a pride in my work myself. I really made sure that I was going to consistently put in 150%, and I'd acknowledge that and be grateful for the accomplishments that I had as a result. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very much aligned with with what we've heard as well from some of the other guests is that. You know the the self satisfaction in reaching your goals is really hard to match, and, and sales is a, a career where you get that opportunity. Well, I know we, you know, I know we've got into your background a little bit, and I think what would be really valuable for the for the listeners is to transition into your perspective on managing 
millennials, and it doesn't even have to be millennials. It could be you know young professionals in general. But um, mm-hmm. when you first got into sales, you were sometimes a little too scripted, and the manager told you just to be yourself. So, what are some mistakes you see millennials making in the first couple of years of sales? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I I think the part of that is it, right? Going into a training class or getting some type of scripts or some type of playbook and guide and being a robot, right? Um, I always talk to folks that are going through sales training um, classes with us today and say to them, we hired you because your personality showed through to us during that interview process. We liked you. You had that likability factor. If you hide behind a script if you hide behind you know, what you're told to say or trying to mimic what other people sound like and, not, and you know, instead of making it your own, you're never going to get far. And that's unfortunate because we know right, that you have that, that attribute, you have that talent. We know because we saw you as a human being and as a relatable person on the other side of a table in an interview process. So I think the biggest hiccup that people have is they have this confidence and, you know, and they're excited about the job and some of them are really, really driven, but they're handcuffed to a certain, experience, to a certain extent by their fear. Um, and what they have to do is really twist that fear to be motivating fear um, and, you know, and risk taking and having pride in their work, et cetera, instead of being really handcuffed and just becoming, you know, very robotic and, and sounding like any other mediocre sales rep that's calling on an account. Yeah. And do you think that's, I'm just curious, do you think the primary root of the fear is, is looking bad in front of the customer, looking bad in front of the management? Because I think if we can identify the fear, um, that'll really help bet it out and hopefully move past it a lot sooner. Because I know sometimes it takes folks a couple years to find their own, their own pitch or their own um, style. Um, so I'm just curious what, you know, what maybe some of your initial thoughts are on you know, where that fear comes from. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think a majority of it, or at least for me, has always been and still continues to be today to a certain extent, the fear of your direct management or your peers more so than the fear of the customer or the potential customer. I think that, you know, you're in a room with your manager, you're starting off, you want to come across really polished, you want to make it seem like you really got this, you know, this whole thing down. And ultimately, it just it just breaks down. Um, you know, people get tongue-tied, they start falling over their words, it starts going south, their manager jumps in, and then all of a sudden it's the manager talking for the other two-thirds of, you know, or even more than that, three-quarters of the sales conversation. Um, so I think it's more internal pressures that people face. Um, I think people are more apt to learn and rebound when they make mistakes uh, you know, and just uh, when they're just engaging with a customer directly, more so than when they're in front of a peer or a manager. And I think it's just something that, with practice and with confidence building and with a level of fearlessness, uh, you know, you got to get over. And that takes time. That takes time because the reality of that, Ryan, is that there are some people that come in and they are so cocky and they they come across really polished, right? but they are too cocky. And that is that is an issue in itself. So I'd rather the person that's a little rougher around the edges, that's likable, that I could say, you know, go try, 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 and if you fail, it's okay, than the, you know, extra cocky um, guy or girl that comes into the room and says like, I got it, I got it all figured out, because those people typically don't last. Yeah, and it's it's interesting when you, when you talk through 
the scenario because I, I remember it all too well where you're you're the rep, you're the new rep, you're nervous, you're with the customer, you're you're babbling like an idiot, and then <laughs> the manager comes in and, and saves the day. And in the, the short run, yeah, you might win the deal, but in the long run, did the rep actually improve on their skill? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to hear from your perspective, and, and I think we covered this a bit with Rich too, is you know, I think millennials and probably anyone starting a job tends to want to see more of a coach than just like a manager. Mm-hmm. And just kind of understanding how you go about that process and what you think about in terms of, you know, coaching their skills versus just, hey, we're managing towards a revenue goal every quarter. Yeah, so, um, you know, Rich is a great coach and I I actually, I think that him and I this year have learned from each other quite a bit because I I think you're absolutely right, uh, Tom, when it comes to managing, you're managing pipeline, you're managing activity, you're managing, you know, an understanding of the way that a person might be handling their territory and their business. But when you're coaching, you're providing the guidance and you're providing a leadership that millennials crave. So I think there's two kind of pieces of this depending on where a rep is in their progression as well as the type of sale that they ultimately are trying to have. There are some times on those calls or in those meetings where it's just going south so quickly that the manager does need to, to swoop in. And there's a value to that to a certain extent because the rep hears the flow of the manager and the more they hear their manager in real circumstances, then obviously the more they can start to pick up some of the buzzwords and some of the approach and, and you know listen to others to well make themselves more well-rounded. The flip side of that is when the conversation's going more south and you kind of let it because you have some faith that it's going to end up being okay and you end that call or you end that meeting and you really go to town on the coaching and you really understand and let them, you know, really make dig in deep on what could have been better and how it was good, but it could have been great. And so millennials now, you know, nowadays more than ever, you hear about millennials really wanting guidance and really wanting coaching, and they really want to know where they stand with their managers at all times. Now, some people look at that as really negative. They always want to know when they're getting to the next level of the ladder, or they're always looking for reinforcement. And my argument to that is like, is that so bad? Is it so bad that they want to grow? Is it so bad that they're motivated? And is it so bad that they thrive a bit on, you know, their manager's um, feedback, positive feedback, right? And, And coaching. And so anybody that's in a management realm nowadays, I think you have to be really mindful that that is what makes more or less millennials tick and that's a way that you can really set yourself apart as a manager that's that's bringing them to the next level if i could summarize what you're saying it's you know millennials need to be need to be true with themselves and understand where they stand um, you don't overcompensate but don't also be um, you know, uh, too undercompensate mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm also being open to coaching but I think that the third thing that you haven't really said directly is um, being able to have those super super honest conversations and not taking it personally um, is something that I see a lot of folks in my generation including myself struggling with sometimes but obviously if you can get past that there's a lot of value to be gained mm-hmm. um, what else what else are you seeing as you know key differentiators for for young professionals anyone from you know 
age 30 and, and younger that, that can really help them stand out? Yeah, so um, I think that a, one of the big things is that um, for the so, you know, you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, to to frame the conversation, but you know, I don't have to put it within the confines of millennials. Well, the reality is for me, 18 out of 19 people that I manage are millennials. <laughs> and I am at the, the beginning of the millennial. Um, you know, I'd like to say I'm a millennial, but God knows I feel like the old person <laughs> in the crew, right? So, um, so the one thing that I'll say is that my sales management experience has only, with, with a few exceptions, been, been with millennials. Um, and what I find is that millennials really like structure. They like to know what's expected of them. They like to know what they're striving for. And then they like to know how you think they've done doing it. Um, they don't like surprises at it by any means. Um, and my policy is that you're never going to get a, you know, end of year evaluation or a, a quarterly goal sheet and hear a level of criticism within it that you haven't heard from an, on an ongoing basis. Right, like I don't think there's anything that gets accomplished at having real hard conversations at the end of a year when you're not having coaching conversations and exposing things people can be doing better along the way. So managers that don't manage with transparency, I personally feel are a failure to management because they're not, that that is a big growth um, prohibitor in my in my opinion. Um, I love the hungry millennials, right? Like everybody talks about millennials being lazy. Everybody talks about the fact that they're very, you know, um, you know, full of themselves and overly confident. And, you know, I, I don't see it that way personally. I think there's boomers that are lazy. I think there's boomers, um, you know, that don't want to learn anymore or have become comfortable. And the same could be argued of any generation. So millennials that are hungry, um, you know, kind of keep me on my toes, right? And I think that, th that we should view the millennial generation specifically as one that can learn from us and that we can learn from. You know, one thing I'd love to get to, but before we get into some of the rapid fire, just real quick is, you know, we've been talking a lot about sales so far, and you clearly have a passion for sales, Tom and I do as well, um, but one of the things I've seen is that there's a lot of social pressures for millennials and, and folks in our generation to maybe do something with their life that's expected of them of, of others, but maybe that's not the right path for them. So I'd, be, I'd love to know, what are some tips you have for helping someone find their passion so that they know you know, hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and then I think the work's easy. So, yeah. what would you? How would you speak? I, I, maybe this is a little extreme, <laughs> but I do not think anybody should wake up and go to work any day that they're not happy. They, that's not the job for them. Um, going to work and dreading the work day, it sounds so horrible to me. And I feel sorry for those people, frankly. I think that if you don't know what your passion is, then you have to explore as many things as humanly possible to find that passion, and you will. And if you feel like you're doing something and that you don't feel passionate about it, then it isn't for you. And whatever your motivator is to do that, whether it's that you feel you have to give back and help by being part of a non nonprofit, or you feel like you have to be making, you know, six figures and, you know, and bringing home a significant paycheck. There are realities for day-to-day -day life, right? Like people need certain things in order to be comfortable in there, you know, from a financial perspective. But at the end of the day, if you don't love doing it, then why are you doing it? So I think the big thing is just being honest with yourself and having a high level of self-reflection. 
um, I think it was in the podcast you guys did with Rich where you talked about gratitude. And if you can't look back on your day and be grateful for the way it unfolded, even if it's a what you consider a bad day, right? It's a bad day, right? It was really intense or you lost a deal or you know something happened horrible at work in some other profession. But if you still don't have anything to be grateful and excited about, that's problem. And that really requires you to self-reflect more so than the person that you know closes the end of the day and is just really proud of their accomplishments and excited about the things that took place. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a huge point um, for anyone, regardless of age, is the gratitude piece. And it's something that I've been trying to be more mindful of yeah. um, more recently. And, and I was at... I was actually at a, a sales event last night, and, and one of the speakers, um, it was you know, it was the end of the event, and they had one kind of last tip for everyone in the in the audience, and it was, hey, just just be thankful for that you're here, right? You're you're you have a sales job, you have a job, mm-hmm. you're in America, you're beyond blessed to be where you are. If anyone that's listening to this podcast, um, and we always say, Ryan and myself, that. You know, we don't have to go to work. We don't have to create this podcast. We get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're in a very fortunate position, um, especially if you are doing what you're passionate for. So I think the grateful, being grateful and, and showing gratitude is huge. Yeah, I agree. Well, and as we transition into rapid fire questions here, I think I'll get it kicked off. You know, who is one person, uh, someone you know personally, or maybe you know, a, a celebrity type figure who really does a good job of cultivating uh, gratitude? Oh boy, this is a hard one. Uh, I knew I was going to hate the rapid fire section of this podcast series and you were putting me on the spot. And obviously for those that are listening, they did not give me these questions in advance. Um, Oh gosh. Well, I can can help you out. All right. So me, it's, um, (laughs) so I... I believe it or not, it's uh, it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? I love his Instagram. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Every other day, though, it's you know being grateful for this or you know being grateful to to work. Um, so that's a big one. Um, yeah, it's just it, the guy just generally seems like he's enjoying himself. So, so I'm just curious if anyone comes to mind, and if not, that's fine. yeah. You know what? It's funny. You're talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and that triggered my mother-in-law, um, which is <laughs> which is such a level of irony. And I mean, well, I at least, if nothing else, for everybody who's listening, I hope you're laughing at this point. But I would say my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, so, you know, my, my mother-in-law is the mother of 12 children. Um, my son happens, uh, my, my son, my husband happens to be the last of them. Um, and she is the most grateful for her family and the fa- her grandchildren. And she's so oh, intrinsically positive all the time. And this is a woman who, she lost her husband when um, her kids, most of her kids were really young. Um, you know, she had, from a financial perspective, she had to leave her younger kids with her older kids constantly so she could work nights. Um, she now, because she birthed 12 children and is older, has health problems. And you would never, her mind is as sharp as a tact. And I love nothing else than visiting with her and having her just, she loves to talk. I love to talk, but she loves to talk more than me. Uh-huh. And her, the, the gratefulness that she has for the life that she's built for her family is one that like I completely respect. I honestly think I probably love mothering my children as much as I do because I've seen her thrive in, in having the family that she's had. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and we might need to 
the show picture for this episode might need to be like a side by side of. All right, on to the next next rapid fire. So, um, I know a, uh, one of the huge passions that that you've had and, and you've shown it more and more as of late, but I'm, I'm sure it's it's existed your whole career. Um, is really kind of bolstering the message of, of women in sales and, and women in the workforce. I know you're getting really involved in mm-hmm. that space. I'd love to hear if you just, you know, maybe if you learned one lesson so far from your work in that space or or on the flip side, if you have one lesson to mm-hmm. share um, with the women that are listening to the podcast. Yeah, so I was at an event actually last week and one of my mentors is a sales expert. Her name is Lori Richardson. And she's local to the Boston um, area and I was with her actually at this event. And we were talking in the panel that I was on about confidence and you know how women can increase their confidence. And she paused and said, you know, sometimes instead of talking about confidence, I like to put it in the perspective of fearlessness. The idea of being fearless, of, you know, the, the, the stats exist that ultimately women don't go for, um, for job wrecks where they don't think that they can, um, that they, you know, kind of adhere to about 90% of the bullets within the job description. Whereas men, it's closer to 40%. They have confidence they could just, you know, kind of convince somebody that they're capable um, and that they're, you know, a right fit for the job. And so when we talk about the different things and the different, um, you know, um, boulders that women need to kind of put to the side to, to have a successful sales career and, and get into the career, the profession at large, I really, um, you know, it, it resonated with me a lot about the idea of being fearless that, you know, at the end of the day, there's always that new day. So if you screw anything up, it's okay. And that, you know, that this is um, a career path where you don't, you don't have to just have confidence. You got to take the risks and you got to be, um, you got to be willing to do that. And there are different ways that you can kind of build yourself up mentally to, to be um, apt to do so. That's, that's really inspiring. I, I'm going to have to re-listen to that mm. part again. But I think just the, I mean, taking risks and you know, having the confidence. I mean, your confidence certainly sticks out to both Tom and I. We were talking about it before this podcast. And I think we could do a whole other round two on where that comes from. But just to keep the rapid theme going, um, real quick, you know, what's one thing that terrifies you, Annie? Public speaking. <laughs> yes oh my gosh yeah I mean most more so definitely in front of peers and um I could talk to strangers until I'm you know blue in the face but more so in front of people that I that I think have a I don't know potentially higher opportunity to judge me I don't know um yeah I, I, I'm not a big fan I've been participating and asked fortunately to participate on a couple of panels recently and I'm really loving the panel thing because you get to hide behind <laughs> the fact that there's some other people involved um you know taking the main stage in any point in my career definitely terrifies me <laughs> one quick one for me so I know that another thing that that's really been evident for you in the last six months is your your presence on social media yeah. i see you put a lot more time and effort into that i'd love to hear just what inspired that and or um you know one thing you've learned from really kind of diving headfirst into yeah that. so uh, it, it continues to be a learning opportunity um and it's one of those things that i already have frustrations because i fear i'm not doing it well enough i had i have very lofty social media goals and i really i probably have to check myself a little um i rely on rich actually to to check me a little and tell me that i'm i'm insane but um you know first of all i think it was my interest in social media was 
um, an interest in diversifying myself as a sales manager and, and a per, and a professional, um, you know, a sales professional. And what I found was, you know, 12 years, you know, growing up in the ranks of Tech Target, learning from a lot of the same people. How can I learn other things that I can bring to my team? And how can I funnel um, funnel things down, right? These learnings down. How could I um, network myself and and um, build relationships with other folks? Not in an effort to leave my job, but in an effort to do my job better. And then how do I get them involved, right? Like how do I go to events and bring my team along with me so they learn with me, you know, one-on-one versus just through me? Um, so a lot of the, um, the impetus for that was simply the fact that I wanted a challenge. Um, I mean, Twitter especially was something I was super weak with. Um, I love a challenge if I get behind it, right? And I looked at it as a good learning opportunity um, for myself and for my team, and I wanted to help diversify my team. Any any last words yeah. here from you, Annie, that you want to share with the, the listeners before we... Uh, no, the only thing I would say is keep listening to these guys. Um, they're working hard and they're setting themselves out as, um, you know, making this differentiation for themselves and having a good time. So I certainly hope that the people that are listening to this that haven't listened to your other podcasts um, do have a listen because the content is quite valuable and... I, I, I mean, you know, I've, I've watched you two over the last several years and I, the, the passion and the drive that you have is, you know, like no other. And I just, I, I, th- I appreciate what you guys are doing and I hope some of the listeners do too. Annie Matthews dropping some knowledge with the podcast today. As always, we appreciate any likes, shares, comments, and most importantly, the iTunes reviews. As Gary V says, your comments and feedback are my oxygen. Ah. <sighs>